0: sitting here in my own house, minding my own, business, minding my own Where you been? I
1: don't think you can oh, I've been having a know. hell of a time. Oh, oh. When I'm oh. bad. And a question oh. Oh. A period. Oh. Oh. the I get out of my way, because I've got a man waiting for me. You everything. Hi guys, this is High Camp, the podcast where I try to watch all 406 movies from an out-of-print gay film guide before I die. I'm your host, Brian Rucker, and today I have the very talented, the very patient Greg Smith. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing well, how are Uh, you doing? Well, good, except for literally the last hour. Uh, My microphone was, I guess, possessed by the spirit of Norma Desmond. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, uh, but... And I don't, I don't even know how. I guess it was the cord that was messed up. I took, I put the cord, that, took it out, put it back the, in. That's
0: the reigning theory at the moment is that the cord was a little bent or something.
1: But we really have no idea. It just, after I like literally the last resort, you were gonna go home, yep. we were gonna reschedule, and um, I tried one last time and it worked. So of we we're able to record
0: now, guys. Sometimes I think, and I've, I've noticed this in a lot of weird technical glitches, the way to make things work is to do the thing that would stop you from doing it, if that makes sense. They just need to feel a little threatened and then they'll work.
1: Yeah, like it's that sort of uh, insanity. The definition of insanity is like repeating the same action over and over. And so you get into that thing. I think it's like anything in life. Like you're trying so hard for something and you keep, butting against something and it's not working. And then if you just like
0: pause and breathe a little bit, just let go a little and the universe will be like, Oh, here you go. Yeah. You finally made room.
1: But the, the thing, the problem is, and I think, I think we figured it out that it was the bent court. I hope it is because like, if I have to do this before every episode, (laughs) I mean, no one's going to want to do my podcast. (laughs) Uh, you're, you're very nice. Uh, but some of my guests coming up, they're divas. So I don't think they're going to sit around for an hour. Let's get into it. Oh, one. well, you'll see. You'll see, like, your episode 11, and so you'll see 12, 13, and 14, and, and, then, like, and ooh, then you'll know who it is, what I'm talking H1 about. one divas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, I got Celine Dion. I oh, got Oh, literally, one yes, divas. Yes, Gloria wow. Stefan's coming. Um, remember Anastasia from the early 2000s? She was on one of those divas concerts. I do, concerts. yeah. Well, she's Good doing my her. podcast. So I'm moving up. Uh, that a,
0: this, was that Shania Twain's album?
1: I think it was just, yeah, Up.
0: Up. I. Did you ever like Shania Twain? I love Shania Twain. Okay. To the point where I re-listened to the hit album with like You're Still the One and Man I Feel Like a Woman on It's front to back. Is it called Come On Over? I think so. I listened to it front to back recently and I'm like, this shit still slaps. It's so good. I have never listened to a Shania
1: Twain album front to back. Like Those songs were so um, just ubiquitous when we were growing up. And I... I guess it was during a time where I was like more snobby about, but not like snobby (laughs) in a cool, snobby in like, oh, I only listen to Smashing Pumpkins, which is,
0: um, you know, 14 year old snobby. Sure. Sure. I, but now I should go back and listen to it for sure. I've similarly, I think as I grow older, become more open-minded to. I was just talking about this with, uh, somebody the other day. I was really snobby about 2000s, like emo pop punk. Okay. Like your, my chemical romances, your, uh, uh, the used All-American Rejects, stuff like that. For sure. And nowadays, I'm like, give this to me with a shovel. I think it's so good. I eat it up. I get I, where they're coming from.
1: That Yeah, that's another era and genre that I think just sort of passed me by. You're yeah. probably a few years younger than yeah, me. Yeah, maybe. Um, so I was already, I guess, like college age yeah. or when when that stuff became popular. And so I was very into like, my indie, my Joanna Newsom's, my yes. Sufjan Stevens, yes. and then Sufjan also was big, yeah. yeah, and then also like Britney Spears. Yes, I am a gay man born sure. in the '80s. Sure, uh, but yeah, I should get it. Like I remember my Camel that what was like their concept album that they
0: did, uh, uh, Welcome to the Black Parade. Yeah, and yeah. I,
1: I wanted to like it because yeah. it seemed very dramatic and then very I, campy. I would say yeah, I should I should revisit it.
0: It's good. They even have there's a tune with like. You know, maybe one of the godmothers of camp, they have Liza Minnelli featured on a track for real. She plays the mother in quotes on the concept album. Wow, and she and Gerard Way sing a duet together.
1: You just completely blew my mind. <laughs> I had no idea.
0: Yeah, it's, it's worth listening.
1: All right, well, thank god for streaming so yes. I don't have to pay 10.99 or whatever for it. Yes, uh, before we move on, I just want to talk a little, I just want to say because it is we're recording on September 3rd, 2019 and Lana Del Rey's Norman Fucking Rockwell just got a 9.4 in Pitchfork, and I, I shouldn't care. A 9.4? A 9.4, uh, best reviewed album by a female artist in a decade. Wow. I think the seventh best reviewed album all time since Pitchfork started. Wow. And I just wanna to say to everyone out there, I told you so. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Lana?
0: <laughs> I don't wanna put you on the spot. But. I have not listened to the new record yet. Um. I think in general, I am lukewarm on Lana Del Rey. Fuck you, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, I, you know, I'm just gonna keep digging the hole. I (laughs) fucking love Taylor Swift. Oof, okay. Yeah, I think Lover is a masterpiece. Whoa,
1: whoa. I think it's so good.
0: But right now, my pop queen is Ariana Grande. Okay. Everything she's touching is turned into gold. She's great. Seven Rings front to back, great album. And so
1: prolific. Just those yes. two two
0: albums in less than a year. It's, and they're both like They're both remarkable. fantastic, yeah. But I will, I should, you're right. I should give Norman fucking Rockwell a shot. I mean, it, it's
1: like, I don't, I think it's, you just either love her or you don't yeah. love her because her music does sound very samey, I think, yeah. if you're not yep. on her wavelength. Yep. Uh, her lyrics are just, there's like a sense of humor that I think a lot of critics and a lot of people in general just didn't get for a long time and thought yeah. she was like cheesy. Uh in a way, but she always I mean, this is a podcast about camp, and yeah. she has a very well defined sense of I camp.
0: Think that the album title alone. Yeah. Yeah. She knows um, what she's doing.
1: So and again, like music criticism, whatever, we don't need pitchfork to give us value in this world, and yet uh I'm glad that people
0: besides Lana Stans are um seeing the light. Seeing the light, exactly. Yes. I appreciate that too. I like whenever she guests, uh, I'm a big The Weekend fan. Oh, yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. And whenever they collaborate, I'm like, ooh.
1: Yeah, Mesh all those songs out. are great. Because she says, like he like they they sort of say together, she, he is the boy in all of her songs yeah. and she is the girl yep. in all of his she's songs. She's the star boy, she's the star yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, wow. Well, this is not a music podcast, <laughs> uh, but stream Norman fucking Rockwell. I'm just doing my duty as a Lana stan, <laughs> but let's move on. Greg, what are you watching these days? T V movies? Anything yeah. exciting um, going on?
0: The last movie I saw in theaters was Good Boys. Oh yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. What'd you think? I I I liked it. It was mm-hmm. cute. It was yeah. it was way more wholesome
1: yes. than I expected because the trailers, it was like this R-rated raunchy yep. comedy. And there's, you know, swear words and like sex toy jokes. Yep. But it's a very wholesome movie about like middle school age boys that are sort of growing apart. And it was cute, but it wasn't yeah. something that I like will probably revisit. Yeah.
0: I think that's reasonable. Think? Uh, I also, I loved how wholesome and cute it yeah. was. I'm really, I'm all about comedy movies that are cute these days. Mm-hmm. Like Spider-Verse was so wholesome. Yeah. Lego Batman movie was so wholesome. And Good Boys, my favorite character was Lucas, who was the most wholesome of the bunch.
1: Oh yes, the, the taller yes. black boy.
0: Yeah, he was fantastic, he that was actor. He was, a was so break funny. Out. he was so funny. And I just really appreciated how tightly it was edited. It mm-hmm. was very just like, joke 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 just like so well paced really i haven't seen a movie in theaters that i like just consistently was laughing at a joke so kind of marathon session wise and it was just like a nice refreshing kind of change of pace
1: yeah and it's doing well like it is the well. summer the theater was
0: pretty full
1: Totally, and pe- people loved it in my screening, uh, and all like the big studio comedies this summer have completely bombed. What so. are
0: what even were? I was trying to think of this. What were the big studio um, comedies?
1: Well, earlier in the summer there was uh, what's the one? The one with Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. Oh, I saw Long which was Long Shot, Longshot, which I, I thought really was really good. It, it was, re- it. but it bombed. Um, Booksmart didn't do that well. Booksmart's so good, and Booksmart was really good. Really good. And then there were other like um, Stuber, which I did not see and I heard was not great. I
0: wanted it looked at my alley. I didn't okay. see it though. Um, I love an action comedy.
1: See, yeah, it's like, did you see Hobbs and Shaw? I did. I, it was I d- fine. Did
0: not like it. It was fine.
1: Uh, but yeah, all of these sort of mid-range movies that I think people are just sort of waiting t- for them to stream, and, and that's not such going a out bummer. Or-
0: the The mid-range R-rated movie is like my favorite genre, Yeah. and it's just such a it's such a bummer that it is kind of moving to streaming TV sort of markets when. It was so satisfying watching good boys in a theater and like hearing everybody laugh and losing a joke because people were laughing. It's just such a fun communal feeling.
1: Yeah, especially with yeah, with like a comedy or a horror movie, you want you want to be in the audience and and have that
0: experience with a group of people. And these days it's it's the MC the summer blockbusters, the Hobbs and Shaws, the MCUs, they are comedies a lot of the time for all intents and purposes. Like yeah. Spider-Man Far From Home is a rom-com. And I
1: happens... actually thought that that one worked. I really liked oh, me that too. movie.
0: Loved it. And it's uh, f- mostly for the benefit of these movies that they are trying to be funny, but it does, I don't know if it like cannibalizes the need for pure comedies in the movie marketplace. Y-
1: yeah. I don't know that like a stu- you will, you would get just a pure comedy, made right now unless there may be a handful of stars i mean like will ferrell in the past decade but he probably couldn't get anything greenlit or like not not in theaters yeah i don't know i mean adam sandler's at netflix and like i don't i don't mind if these movies are especially like those type of movies produced by netflix or streaming but i feel like the the quality of those netflix originals especially like the rom-coms and stuff that they're producing themselves that aren't just like acquisitions yeah they're just not very good yeah People you have low them. expectations.
0: It's such a strange, I feel like every TV comedy these days feels like an art movie and every comedy movie feels like an adequately covered TV episode.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel
0: like they've totally switched.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like
0: it, Atlanta and Barry are the art movies of our time. For sure. But like, I loved Always Be My Maybe. It was such a blast, but it is kind of shot and directed just like a sitcom episode.
1: Yeah, like I thought there were fun moments in that movie and that like the actors had okay chemistry, yep. but I thought the the jokes weren't very polished and yep. then yeah, just visually it just had no no style at all.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: Um and then like the yeah, directors from from Barry and from like Melina Matsukis yeah, has Queen I and I Queen and Slim. Queen and Slim. Oh, that looks, looks great. So yeah. Uh so hopefully I mean they'll be able to to uh, to direct big screen movies yeah, and like absolutely. get those chances. Um, and now we're sort of coming into Oscar season. So I think yes. everything that is quote unquote quality yeah. that like the indies and the studios have are, yeah. is going to be released in the, in the next few months. So that'll be fun. Yeah, it's my favorite time of year. Oh
0: yeah, I love it. I love when the summer movie trailers start and I love when the fall movie trailers start. Yeah. It's just like a, such a fun like, ooh, movies are about to be either fun or good again. Totally, but, totally.
1: Yeah. Do you have anything that's coming up this like award season that you're especially excited about? Hmm, Good question. I'm
0: very excited for uh, the new Ryan Johnson movie. Okay. Yeah. That looks I saw that trailer and I was just like, this is everything I like. I love closed room murder mysteries. I love like a put upon detective just trying their goddamn best. I love Lakeith Stanfield. I love Daniel Craig doing a weird accent. Yeah,
1: it looks, it, great. it looks. I mean, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. And yeah, the um, like, did you? See, I saw Bad Times with the Old Roy. Roya- I I
0: saw that. I really liked it yeah. more than
1: most people. I yeah,
0: think. I I it didn't work for. Okay. me. Okay. But I liked. Um, I always like seeing Chris Hemsworth having a having a fun. Oh time. yeah, for sure. I like when he lets loose.
1: And this one is Chris Evans, isn't yes. it, right?
0: Also letting a little loose.
1: Yeah, they're letting loose. Little they're little. doing something that's not superheroes. Yeah. So hopefully. Uh, it'll be good. I'm trying to think what I am most excited for. I think yeah, Queen and Slim is one. That's so good. Um, the oh the the Noah Bombach movie, Marriage Story. Yeah, yep, yep. I'm excited about that. I loved
0: Meyerowitz stories. Yeah, I I'm did excited.
1: too. And I think Netflix is actually going to like mount a campaign mm-hmm. for this one. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah. it's still it's still early. It is. Got a I'm lot excited of time.
0: for um, it. Chapter two. Yeah, I am too. I, I didn't I kind of hated the first one.
1: I did too. I don't know uh, why I'm excited about this one. The trailer's been, so good.
0: That's exactly it. I saw that trailer where they showed the extended sequence with uh Jessica yeah. Chastain and that old woman and I was like, "Yeah, you got me." Yeah. And I hated the first one.
1: I and I, I remember I was so uh traumatized by the the like TV the show when I was a kid because I watched it at too young of an age. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this the this one is just it was not scary.
0: No, he just kind of appeared in the frame with like no sense of fun build up or set piece construction. It was just oh, there he is.
1: Yeah. But uh I think yeah, more trailers should do that. We're just gonna show a snippet from the movie. I love it. It builds so much more anticipation. Yeah. Um but yeah, this this it is extremely long. So Yeah, it's, it's like nearly three that's hours. Insane.
0: And after Midsommar, it's like I don't know. Every, I feel like my dad. Every movie can be a half an hour shorter.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, if a movie is 85 minutes, I will see it, no matter. That's like, what,
0: Good Boys, like 93 yeah, minutes? That's great. Oof. Perfect. And
1: I loved Midsommar, but I still am not going to watch the director's cut. Yeah, <laughs> like, the three-hour director's cut. I mean, maybe at some point I will, but I can't do it now. Yeah.
0: You need, you need some time. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's uh, definitely an all-day event. Yep. All right, well, let's move on to our main topic today. Yeah. Billy Wilder's 1950 classic Ooh. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, so good. It I I'd seen this movie uh maybe three or four times before, um, but not not at least not for a few years at mm-hmm. least. And it gets deeper and more relevant every time I see it, which is sort yeah. of uh i don't know what it says about my life but, <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh boy this is very relatable
0: i am wondering why there is a small coffin in the corner of your room oh
1: that's for my chimp okay great yeah no okay, he passed great. away great um, great 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 yeah
0: literal great, <laughs> great, great, great. uh and you've never seen this before this is my first time so, i'm coming in kind of late to billy wilder in general yeah i just seen the apartment for the first time recently some like it hot yeah he's like the best director, possibly,
1: like, yeah, film for film. Because I'm looking at his IMD, IMDB, IMDB. IMDb. Uh, he only directed 27 movies, mm-hmm. which I guess nowadays wouldn't be wouldn't, that crazy, be lot, but back then, that's like not a very big amount.
0: Back then, people were churning them out,
1: yeah. Right?
0: Um, and all of his films, this is, I, I just love. I was talking off mic a little about Philadelphia. I think Jonathan Demme shares this quality. All of his films are in different genres and they're all like the perfect example of that genre. Yeah, absolutely. He just like knocks that particular type of movie out of the park. And he
1: yeah, didn't really have a reputation like as an auteur mm-hmm. as much. Uh, but that that was, yeah, the studio directors, like William Wyler. Yeah. Um, I mean, John Ford, I guess, was more like in his element and is like West and Hitchcock, of course. But yeah, yeah, Billy Wilder, he could do any. I mean, look at, I, I uh, embarrassingly enough, I don't think I've ever seen The Apartment.
0: Oh, it's um, so good. I need to see it's, it. It's a really lovely, sad, funny. It's excellent.
1: Um, yeah. Let's see. Some like it hot, which. Hot take. I don't love that Ooh. movie. I've seen, I've tried to like it. And like it, it hot take. I don't know. It's not funny to me. Oh, I loved it. Oh, movie. you loved it? Okay. Yeah. Um, the original Sabrina. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ace in the Hole, which I think is great. Oh, yep. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, which now I think it is one of my favorite movies yeah. of all time. Yeah. And Double Indemnity. Yep. It's crazy. Just bangers. Yeah. Um, Straight bangers. So, like, what? So, you just wanted to sort of see Billy, Billy Wilder movies? Like, when I sent you this list of 400 movies, this yeah. was one of the ones that you chose. That this was, was. Yeah.
0: Uh, it was definitely, I've, I've just known I've needed to see this movie okay. for a while. Not just because I'm recently like interested in Wilder, but because I've been a lifelong fan of film noir. Mm-hmm. And this felt like a huge sort of uh, uh, missing movie on the list. And I also just kind of love stories about people driven to madness via obsession. Yes, and, like, me too. paranoia. And like just like grimy people drawn together for no good reason. And everything's, everything's bad at the ending and shit like that. Yeah. And
1: that is like a big theme of noir. Yes. Um, I just, yeah, I've gotten into noir probably the past five years. Um, I think I've seen all the, like the main ones. Yes. This, this is a movie that is sort of of that genre, but it sort of it's transcended. Also not. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think like in the early fifties, noir was so popular and so dominant. They had to, um, to fit, some like screenplays into that style. you think That happened here. I well, I think like the voiceover is the yep. one element that I don't dislike. Mm-hmm. But I think that was maybe like because noir was so popular, they had they added they that to. voiceover, and then you know the the murder and the flash the flashback. Yeah, similar to Mildred Pierce, and I, I guess this isn't really based on an existing story like no. Mildred Pierce was. No, it but, isn't.
0: It's kind of based on. Well, she was cast after it was written, but um, Gloria Swanson's life was very similar to this. Yeah, yeah. In a bit of meta, in many one of the movie's many meta moments.
1: I wonder how. I mean, she must have known, like this, like it wasn't like she was obviously a a smart woman, and yeah, one of the biggest stars
0: of the silent era. Um, God, and she the way she uses her eyes in this movie it is truly remarkable. It, it's astonishing to watch
1: it is such a choice it's such a <laughs> yeah. uh, a like holdover from that silent yeah. movie acting style and I and I could see someone being like oh that's that's way too much and maybe this is what makes it have camp elements yeah. even though it's this is how she was this is this is truthful to yeah. I don't know about her her life but this is the way that she learned how to act and the way this style was what made her a star in the 20s and then it was um it fits the character but it's also so poignant and sad that the things that were working for her as a young woman are to William Holden's character and to the audience are grotesque
0: yeah and it, it, it might not be I think the way you phrase it who she is but it's definitely how she wants to be perceived yeah I forget which Freudian. I forget if that's the superego or the ego or whatever. Oh, probably the
1: superego. Yeah, so probably, I think right? so. Yeah. I've never taken a
0: psychology class. <laughs> I've taken. No, I've taken a philosophy. I don't know. You're like, I majored in psychology. Yes, that's right. I'm I am a licensed Freud. family Hello. therapist. Uh, no, I went to film school. I don't know anything. Um, but it, that even makes it more, because part of what I think is essential to a camp reading of a subject is the gulf between What the creator thinks they are doing and what the reality actually is mm-hmm. so for her her superego is like This is how to act and everything is beautiful and wonderful and to us. It's like whoa When she shows up in the movie it is like she is intruding on this very of the moment hard-boiled, uh, actor studio style, monotone noir. And then she shows up and she's like, no, it's my movie now.
1: Yeah, and how how strange that, this is only 1950, so she was the biggest star in the world, yeah. what, 25 years before this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and how much things had changed, both just in the film business, uh, but then acting style, like you said, the actor studio, that whole generation yeah. of actors were just let out to dry. And this this came out what the, the same year um that, that Singing in the Raid came out. Uh so there must have been something in the air yep. of like, oh, we're going back to this time and and every all these people were still alive. They were still yeah. they were still there, and they were just totally irrelevant to Hollywood.
0: Yeah. They were either watching this new Vanguard drift by them, or in the case of Swanson, like taken a hold of it and being like yeah let's see if I can make this work uh and it's especially kind of poignant and grotesque and sad and all of these things the scene where they're playing cards with like Buster Keaton yeah. and the luminaries of that era and it was
1: it's one of the Warner Brothers yeah. that is it is there and then um an actress Anna Nelson I yeah. saw her but I didn't know who mm-hmm. she was she must have been a silent movie star yeah. too uh but yeah, all these people that were still there, they weren't even that old. They oh. were like in their 50s. Buster Keaton looked handsome. He looked sort good. Sort of. Yeah, he was a real drunk. He oh, was really? not. He was not doing well, I think.
0: Oh, I didn't know um,
1: that. But yeah, he looked fine. He mm-hmm. looked good. And now it's funny that like it's Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. Like those physical comedians are sort of the only silent movie stars that a modern audience would even recognize. Yes. And that's what's like so sad, but also beautiful about this movie is that Gloria Swanson did have this whole career in yeah. the 20s, and now she's really only known for this role. That's
0: very true. Which is, cra- it's crazy. It is crazy. It's
1: just no one will, like, the average person is just not gonna sit through a silent movie. It's yeah. just not
0: happening. Even on it, like, I, you know, I'm a bit of a film, nasty little film freak. Yeah,
1: me too, and it's it's hard to it watch It is hard movies. to watch
0: a silent movie, it is. And I think... They, Billy Wilder just was like really turning the screws by having her uh, uh, butler. I'm blinking on his name.
1: Um, Max, played Max. by Eric Von Stroheim. Yeah,
0: yeah, like the premier silent film director who worked with her in her heyday. And I think the movies they're watching in her screening room are literally the movies that Swanson and Stroheim Yeah, think, The movies that they made together. It's just so many textual things happening, it's crazy. It's 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 really insane.
1: Uh, and it's sad too that she, I don't think she was really able to capitalize on this part. No, like she, I, looked,
0: I I think I read that she kept getting offered Norma Desmond type roles afterward, and she was like, nah, I did it once, I'm good.
1: Yeah, I saw, she she was on the Dick Cavett show mm. uh, almost 20 years after this movie came out, so she oh, was, wow. it was like 69 maybe, 69 yeah. or 70, and she was on the same episode, it was her, Janis Joplin, some football player, college football player that like went to Vietnam and came back an anti-war activist. Okay. And Margot Kidder. We're all on the same episode. And it, it is this snapshot. Yeah. Like this point in the middle of the 20th century where all of these people are coming up against each other and it's like, they're all speaking different languages. Yeah. And maybe we're getting back to that. I don't know that it's like a generational thing anymore as much as like a regional or like an educated non-college educated or like a, white I don't know it's like I feel like we're at a point where everyone is talking at each other and like not speaking the same yeah. language but it's not really the same as it was then
0: it kind of is and it kind of isn't and I think a lot of it these days is more of a social media bubble created Maybe, yeah. like everyone just insulates themselves in what they know not unlike Norma Desmond yeah and her friends
1: yeah and it yeah it's I mean it's nice that she still had friends <laughs> it's true. You, her wax works it's Ugh. true uh, so let's talk about William Holden, yeah. too, who yeah. is the hot stud, the uh, <laughs> director, or no, sorry, the writer, Joe, what is his name, Joe Gillis? Uh-huh, yep. Um, I knew him, like, as a kid, I was a big I Love Lucy fan. Yeah. And do you know that episode? There's So there's a whole season where uh-huh. Lucy and Ricky go to Los Angeles because Ricky is offered a part to play. He's offered, like, the movie version of Don Juan. Uh-huh. And so Lucy comes with them, and then she gets in all these, like, scrapes in Hollywood. Yeah. And lovely. pretty much... Every episode that season will have like a star playing themselves oh, I love it, and the most famous episode from that season is Lucy and Ethel are in the brown Derby, which is like the you know the popular restaurant at the time, and they see William Holden and um they try to be cool, but they they're at the next booth and they they just are staring at him and he he stares he finally like has enough and he stares back at Lucy and Lucy freaks out and bumps into a waiter who has a, a pie and yep. like puts the pie right into William Holden's yeah. face. And it's a classic moment, and I—that's like literally all I knew him from yeah. as a kid. Uh, but God, he's beautiful in this
0: movie. He I, really yeah. is. He is beautiful. I—I I will say, my one kind of—if I had to nitpick, this you have a movie, note. You have a note if for I had Bill to Holden. give a note to Billy Wilder, greatest director. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um I don't. And what you were saying about noir maybe kind of clues me into this. I feel like in classic noir your main detective character, kind of by design, doesn't necessarily have as defined of a backstory or an arc or even like a, an emotional point of view, kind of by design, because they're here to solve the case and deal with all of these weird amoral ding-dongs. And I felt like because maybe Joe sort of in some way fit that type, he has his motivations of like having to get work.
1: Yeah, money is money like... Money is a big And motivation. it's something that everyone can relate to especially 100%. as like a creative person I was like oh I am literally living this man's
0: life at the beginning one of the bazillion movie percent. just like let me write anything yeah one bazillion
1: percent. like three hundred dollars please like yes. my I, yeah I'm a, a month behind on my car payment too yeah
0: man <laughs> uh but be beyond that I I didn't quite understand Anytime he sort of either pledged allegiance to Norma Desmond or didn't I felt like that was kind of arbitrary kind of like I didn't quite understand when he chose to be on board with it when he wasn't
1: yeah I think the whole time he is sort of thinking that he's playing her yes or that he's there's there's nothing like aside from the money and just getting work like there's nothing really in it for him he has no emotional connection to her and he's gonna you know, basically swindle this old lady out of money. Um, But then, yeah, I don't know if it's time or whatever, but he realizes that he is as trapped as she is after a while, if not more so, because she does at least have that money. And he has... Yeah, he has friends. And he is even sort of more lost than she is. And like every everything that he sort of judges her for as far as like living in the past or not being with the times or or being irrelevant he's experiencing that maybe on a smaller scale yeah. but like they'd say it, the like oh you were a hit last year but what's yeah. and it's like he he's experiencing that obsolescence in like a really condensed period of time yes in the
0: present tense yeah whereas she's more like it's the fact that she's obsolete is past tense. It's already happened.
1: So, And, and she, she was a huge star. Yeah. Like sure. he never really was anything. Yeah. And like the scene we're jumping ahead, but like the scene where she visited, visits, uh, DeMille yeah. at Paramount, uh-huh. it's like very sad. And, um, and this is another thing that I just completely really is like walking out of a meeting thinking that you just <laughs> fucking killed it. Everyone's yeah. going to like buy your script yeah. and you're going to like rule Hollywood and like being so deluded, like walking out of one of those places, I was like, "Oh fuck, I have been there too many times." Yeah, man. Uh, but I guess what i was saying is, like, that scene also shows that, like, she was a big deal. Like everyone on the set, is they, they treated so yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And he's and uh, Demille's so nice to her, it, and it's like Joe. There's nowhere in LA that he could go where he would be treated that way, even on like a tiny little
0: scale. Kind of like when he goes to that New Year's party. Oh, that's true. All of his peers are sort of happy to see him and stuff. They're like, Where have you been?
1: Yeah. They're
0: definitely not to the same degree.
1: No. And like that party, I was like, oh, it was so crowded. And everyone seemed like they were having a good time. And but you see, when he's there, he's like relieved that he's not with Norma and he's with people his own age. Yeah. But then also it's like claustrophobic. There's yes. those annoying girls on the phone. People are kind of like
0: making fun of his sort of
1: fancy clothes yeah. and stuff. And again, it like reminded me of a lot of parties I've been to yeah. where I'm like, I don't like these people are all really nice and they're good people and they're working hard, and yet I would rather just be in a crumbling mansion (laughs) 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 like by myself with a crazy old lady who I may or may not
0: fuck. Like that's the other
1: thing. They definitely fucked, right?
0: It is ambiguous.
1: There's the one scene where it shows them going in for a kiss and it cuts right before they touch lips. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just like a fifties thing where like, yeah, right. um, You have to do that, but they're, they're in, I mean, he's in the, the, like, guest house above the garage for the first yeah, half they of the sleep movie. sleep in the same bedroom. And then, yeah, even when he moves into the main house, they're yeah. not. So I don't... I almost feel like maybe once or maybe not at all. I don't know. I, hmm, I don't know why great... I was, like, obsessed with finding out how much sex that they were having with each other. But...
0: <laughs> no, it's a good, like, conspiracy theory to dive into. It's like your room 237. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I bet that they... I bet they fucked at least once. At least once. And its I, mean, I think
1: it's implied yeah. for sure. Because he is like... And again, like he's disgusted with himself. But also, he's not that... He's probably like 15 years younger than her. Yeah. It's not like insane. No, I don't think so. It's, cr- it's crazy that he's, a woman who's 50
0: is thought of as like this ghoul. Yeah, it is, it is wild. Especially when he kind of acts more like... I would say he acts more dead. When she you know, does her follies or performs or she's like alive in a way that he never truly is.
1: Yeah. He's so cynical and he's, and it's like, he's embittered already being, he's probably like in his thirties or whatever, um, by the system and by not getting to do what he wants. Uh, and then he just resents her. Mm -hmm. He like, I don't know. He's like projecting his own issues onto Mm -hmm. this woman. Um,
0: the more I think about it, the more I think he kind of sucks.
1: Oh, yeah. He's sort of horrible.
0: He's sort of shitty, not just to her, but to uh, the aspiring writer. To Betty. Yeah, that he teams up with. Yeah. He's a true dick to her and kind of
1: creepy, too. Totally. Cause she, so she's this um, reader yes. at the studio. And so they have like a little meet cute when she, she basically.
0: She uh, trashes his scripts. Yeah
1: in front of him and she doesn't realize that he's there.
0: Which I will say, I liked his pitch. I thought that movie sounded pretty good. The original one? The baseball players oh, the ba- yeah. that get into gambling. I'm on board. It sounds good.
1: Like all of his it pitches and he was he also said he was like doing like two pitches a week. I, I And I was like, wow, that's I mean, really impressive. Uh, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah she she doesn't like it and so and she's also like engaged to his best friend.
0: <laughs> it's a strange relationship because It does feel like I don't understand fully why she kind of turns to sort of professionally and personally falling in love with him. If all we've seen her do is trash his scripts and kind of like be engaged to this at least on the face level, objectively better dude.
1: Yeah, ni- nice guy. Nice guy. N- not not super good looking, probably. Uh, but maybe she's using him too because she. Well, she's only twenty two. True. 22, True. Uh, but she does. And she seems like just as talented a writer, if not more, than than he is. Oh, yeah. She at um, least has
0: more spark imagination drive.
1: For sure. And maybe that's part of it, is like she's just sort of at the beginning of her career. Yes. But also there's like a scene at the end where she says a little bit about her backstory that she grew up yeah. in Hollywood yeah. and was an aspiring actress and got a nose job and everything. And then Oh, and
0: they said they hated, yeah. Yeah.
1: And Oof. then transitioned to being a writer. And an aspiring writer, because I I don't know, like women screenwriters at that time, I I imagine the opportunities were very few and far far between. between, For sure. So she maybe felt that she had to like hitch her wagon to a man. That's a good point. uh, To even get a foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Because probably even as a reader, like nowadays, that seems like a very logical like step to get your foot in the door. But I imagine for a woman at that time,
0: there was no. That was just where women worked. Yeah. And that's it. Until they got married. Or like script supervisor. And that's it.
1: For sure. So hopefully I hope that she was using him and not was and wasn't just completely uh in love with him cuz yeah, yeah. cuz she when well, she's like a, she's probably the same age difference to him as he 100%. is to Norma Desmond which is I don't know if Billy Wilder was like commenting on that or if but it seems uh yeah very obvious now that yes. this this man is is creepy
0: 100%. And I I will say though that in the scenes where they're sneaking away to write together it is both alluring in a good way and in kind of a strange way to see them be so into what they're writing like she lights up earnestly and he kind of lights up for a little bit and it's both very sweet and relatable like whenever i think something i'm writing is like really hot shit I yeah like, Ooh. but it also is a little who's using who who's got the power what it, it, it's a very this whole movie is very enigmatic
1: yeah like the yeah the power differential i mean he I guess he doesn't have much power. He's like an out-of-work screenwriter, but she wouldn't even be able to get like her pitches or yeah. her ideas at all heard by anyone unless she's writing with him. And I, I did, I did feel like those scenes were, uh, were realistic because like I, I work with a writing partner, and mm-hmm. yeah, when you when you do get into that groove and you're just making each other laugh and you're you're in the zone, there's yeah, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. But then, also, like if both of you aren't there too sometimes it it, yeah there's like pluses I don't know I don't I think it's all pretty much all pluses but like uh I could see like just the idea of them having to go for a walk to like clear their
0: head it all seemed very very realistic it was very real when they walked away and then when she tried to take it one step too personal and he was like oh no let's go back to writing yeah yeah, that felt so real yeah she was great too that actress yeah really good really strong she felt you know, if if our male lead is from a noir and our and Norma Desmond is from a silent film, she kind of felt like from almost like a screwball rom com. Totally, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So many, so many different. Yeah,
1: she like her scene. She only has like one scene with Norma
0: towards the end. Yes. Uh, oh, that ending! Oh my god. Um, so a- yeah, what, astonishing. The, the last like fifteen-ish minutes of this movie are perfect, unreal.
1: Yeah. So. uh so Norma sees the script mm-hmm. that they're writing together, yeah. and he d- he's been like sneaking away at night to mm-hmm. um, to like to write with uh with Betty played by I'll say Nancy Olson who I don't know what else she did but she was great in this, um and then so then she calls she calls Betty on the phone and is like. Because this is at the point where they're sort of becoming romantically, romantically yes. entangled, she might leave her fiance's in Arizona shooting something, and she doesn't know if she's gonna go with them or whatever. And she's like, uh, "Betty, you know, like how your man lives. Like he's not with relatives and he's not with friends. Like he's with me." Uh, and so she, So and then he gets on the. He sees that Norma's on the phone with her, grabs the phone, and is like, "You know what? Just come. I'm gonna give you the address." It's like. Ten thousand something Sunset Boulevard. Come here and see how I live. And she gets there, and she's ready to like forgive him or like to get him out
0: of there at the very least.
1: Yeah, she's like, "Don't talk about this. I don't want to. I don't want to hear about this lady again. Just leave with me. Like pack your bags and go." And then he has this realization where he's like, "Where am I gonna fucking go? Mm-hmm. Like, I have no money. I have no job." I can't live in like a one-bedroom apartment that I can't afford, and especially if you know if we're going to be together, like I can't provide f- for you. Mm-hmm. And then I have all these ridiculous, expensive clothes. Like, where am I going to even wear them? Like, my life has completely changed. Yeah. And and he just sort of like gives up
0: everything. like he well, gives up everything.
1: Uh, I guess I'm going to fucking live with Norma and just like wait it out until she dies. I guess is his plan.
0: Yes, but then. So he like totally is like, Betty, get the hell out of here. She gets the hell out of there. And then he turns on Norma, too. He yeah. starts to pack. And he's like, I'm not going to live here with you. And this is where, maybe in my first viewing, I was like, so what's your deal, Joe? What do you want? And maybe the point is that he's realized everything he wants just can't happen. And so he there's no choice but to give up.
1: Yeah, he's like so... Disgusted with himself that he can't be with Betty, but then as soon as he like says that stuff and drives her out, he's like, I can't live like this anymore. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, he probably just like was going to move away from L.A. He at the beginning he of the talks movie talks about he, going
0: to be a copywriter in Ohio, yes, where he's
1: from. He like had worked at some local newspaper yes. in Ohio, and so he was probably just gonna like leave it all behind Um, because he, I guess, yeah, even after. He drives Betty out and says that he's gonna stay with her. He just
0: can't bring himself to actually do
1: it. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, she gets her gun.
0: This sequence where he's just walking away and she runs out and just shoots him a few times and he just takes it and then just kind of stumbles and keeps walking. Yeah. Is some of the most horrifying, like horror filmmaking I've ever seen. Watching him accept the bullets. And just kind of go, well, I'm going to keep walking. Yeah, he, he hardly reacts to the first one. It's, it's like so scary. one
1: comes and he flinches a little bit and he's been hit. He keeps walking. A second one comes and he's hurt more. And then when the third one hits him, he just falls face first yeah. in the pool. And uh, yeah, and then it's it's like I, that that the end was sort of realistic because she's not going to hide the body. She's not going to. Bury him like mm-hmm. she does. Well, there's a a chimp corpse at the beginning of this movie. Yes, if you guys you haven't <laughs> seen it, where she and Max like bury a chimp in the backyard, Uh and maybe that was like her original plan with him. Oh, but maybe. um, but she is not allowed to do that because there's immediately a crowd. The papers are called. Sure. And we uh, see the
0: first the the shot we began the film with that beautiful evil shot from the pool's perspective of him just floating there. Yeah. Like a. Ugh! Like a goddamn morbid, spooky angel.
1: Yeah, and you see, because he's face down in the pool, but the, there's a shot from like the bottom of the pool, yeah. so you see his. You, you see, see the his people face. taking pictures. Yeah. it's so scary. Uh, and and then you see a little cameo by Hedda Hopper, who is the the gossip, the gossip columnist, columnist, who is yes. playing herself, and uh, and she's sort of trapped in her bedroom, uh, making herself up while the police are questioning her, and Max is sitting by there. And they're asking her questions, you know, was this um, was this a crime of passion? Was he trying to steal something from you? They're trying, and she's sort of just completely disassociating, uh, putting makeup on herself. And then yep. finally, someone mentions the fact that there's cameras, cameras. downstairs. Yep. And that's the magic words and, word. And like you said, her eyes at that moment, yeah. when she hears the word camera,
0: she just lights up. It's yeah, it's amazing. And this last sequence, I think I literally watched with my jaw like a gape to the floor when she comes down the stairs and this whole mansion plays along with her strange fantasy as she thinks she's in a movie greeting a prince. And I I, I the score to this film is unbelievably good. It's so disquieting in like a subtle way, the way it kind of corrupts and twists. Uh, maybe a standard romantic lush Hollywood score you would hear at the time, mm. and it like folds it in on top of itself and this the last shot where she 's just coming toward the camera and it goes out of focus and the orchestra like loses its mind it's it 's so just striking yeah it's so good it 's
1: one of the most iconic moments in film history yeah.
0: really that last moment yeah uh mr demille i 'm ready for my close up ugh, what a line
1: yeah um God. There's so yeah so I mean like y- anyone who's listening to this podcast has probably seen this movie or if you haven't, uh out of all what have uh, I this is the 11th episode <laughs> this is the best movie of the 11 episodes the 11 movies I've talked about I mean we have talked about some good movies I do on really this. like Imitation of Life oh Imitation of Life is yeah that's probably second place Douglas circus is ooh he's so great
0: ooh big
1: fan um but yeah this this is like I I would say if if there were aliens that were coming down sure. and didn't know what a movie was. You show them this. This is the movie that I would yeah. show them. Like, it is, and it 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 feels like an archetypal story, like a like a fable that should be thousands of years old. Yeah. Almost. I mean, like Hollywood was around for what forty years at this point, really, Something and it like was that. already
0: like myth making about its history, its own self. It was already eating its own tail, and there were already people whose careers were done. And they um, were
1: still fucking in middle age. That's like what's so fucked up is yeah. these people were not even like they were not even like about to die. They they were still basically in the prime of their yeah. careers. They should I mean, have we been saw in the, prime of she yeah.
0: the performance of her life. Yeah. at Her age.
1: Um, and oh God. Yeah. Like the, yeah, the fact that that Hollywood is so both up its ass and also <laughs> like really, um, like smart about dissecting itself at the same time is, I mean, that's what's sort of great about movies is like, it can be both at the same time.
0: Definitely. And it's so interesting that it was, I agree with you. It does feel, especially in those last moments, like a dream, like a fable. And yet at the time, Billy Wilder was doing everything in his power to make it as contemporarily as possible Mm. by hiring the silent film actors, by using Cecil B. DeMille literally on the set of a movie he was making. yeah He was like, he was making the equ. Do you remember that Jay Moore show, Action? No. <laughs> that was like a self aware sitcom of the night. The Larry Sanders show. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was like doing his version of that.
1: So. Yeah, that I wonder, like, was Cecil B. DeMille still like making movies at that level f- at that point? Because I feel like. Didn't
0: like the 10 Commandments oh, yeah, not yeah. come out to
1: like. That's years? true. Yeah, so, he was, so he was still awarded the opportunities of, like he was older than Norma Desmond or yes. Gloria Swanson. And, and I mean, I guess that's part part of it is he's a director and part of most of it is he's Sexist. a man. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that he's like, oh, I I discovered this girl when she was 17 yeah. and I've seen her rise and fall. She's been out of the game for 25 years. Uh, I'm still the biggest director on this yeah. fucking lot. And this old hag that I have to like turn away is a fucking decade younger than me. Yeah. It's so horrible.
0: It is really horrible. And to watch him take pity on her, if you look at it through that lens, it, it is kind of icky and it's kind of, it's a very discomforting movie, the whole thing. Yeah,
1: And because it's like, he is so, he's sort of like condescending to her yeah. and trying to get her out of it. But then if you're looking, like he's being professional, like what else he could he do? Because her screenplay is garbage. Yeah like what she's he can't be like oh yeah we're gonna make your movie norma like your crazy fucking longhand <laughs> like 600 page screenplay without any dialogues yeah. like is it
0: just it's just like stage directions it's i like an andy warhol movie yeah oh my god that I'd, god i did want to touch on that the if you were to ask uh college greg to write like Ooh, yeah. a film essay about this i think i would try watching this it felt like i was watching a metatextual narrative about about the discovery of a camp filmmaker and like what to do with the camp product they're making. It felt like Joe Gillis discovers Norma Desmond and discovers this wild screenplay, this piece of outsider art, this like huge swinging attempt to make something good. And he's like, he even says a line, something like sometimes it's interesting to see how bad bad writing can get.
1: Yeah, he has a lot of like sort of self-aware throwaway lines. He has like a dark sense of humor about himself. But I also feel like even as whatever, like a competent screenwriter that he is, he wouldn't know what to do with something as wild as whatever Norma's writing. Like, cause he, he's like this, he's like a, you know, straight guy in his Mm thirties. I don't know that he would have like a well-defined sense of camp Yeah, or like he's, he's purely doing it for, Uh, his own material gain Um, and I I do think that that I I think like I don't know gay guys probably see themselves somewhat in Norma but then also in Joe because it's like this is like do are all camp objects thought of like like are you ridiculing these people that are still alive these are people these are real three-dimensional people and you're looking at them at a distance whether you say, Oh, I like, I love her. Yes. Queen. But it's like, it is part of it is in
0: quotes, in quotes. Yeah.
1: hundred percent. And what is the responsibility as someone who is a fan of, I don't know, older actresses or, um, camp objects? Like to what extent are, should you just not
0: engage or if you're making fun of them? I don't know. It's so interesting, especially when, in this case, the subject being Norma Desmond, desperately wants to be engaged with. That's like literally the only thing she wants. Yeah. To the point, I wrote this line down at the end when Joe's threatening to leave her. Uh, just don't hate me. Any other emotion or action is fine. Not Just not silent hatred or apathy. The one thing she doesn't want is for people to disengage. And yet when he engages, it literally drives her to madness and him to death yeah it's like how do you win you know what they needed what a cynical word! they
1: needed in the 50s they needed real housewives yeah so she could have cameras pointed oh at her oh my and she, she could have fans and she could do a cabaret show and she could go on and watch what happens live and get the applause she and, would have
0: a bazillion followers yeah. she would be a uh, uh, hashtag ad all over the place she would be wildly successful yeah
1: where where was Andy Cohen where were you Andy Andy
0: Cohen watch what happens now
1: Uh, But yeah, so I guess she—I don't know. I guess she'll just go to jail at the end. Yeah, I don't know what else. Or insane asylum.
0: The warden will be like, "Uh, it's a set of a movie," and she'll be like, "Great." Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I guess so. She's just like in her own world. At least she'll Mm -hmm. have that and not Mm -hmm. have to like deal with the real world.
0: What do you think life is like for Max after this movie? Does she keep visiting her? Does she? Does he find a new life? Does he?
1: That's a really good question. I didn't think about Max because he is so attached to her, and it comes out like. At the end of the movie that he was her first her husband, husband as well as like her, you know, director and she was his muse. I guess he would visit her in prison. I think he would have to. But He's I don't think he would last very long without her. I think he would just sort of die pretty up. soon. Yeah.
0: I bet that Beverly, I bet that Beverly writes the movie about this and it is a big. Betty. Be- Sorry? Betty, right? Betty. Sorry. Yeah. My bad. Uh, I bet that Betty writes the screenplay about this encounter and in the universe of Sunset Boulevard, she writes her version of Sunset Boulevard. That's, I hope so. And gets, in quotes, Billy Wilder to direct it. And it's like a huge <laughs> hit.
1: Yeah. And she becomes like the first female screenwriter
0: to win an Oscar. Yeah and but maybe like it has to be under a man's pseudonym or something like that. That would be
1: fun. And mm-hmm. then like she comes to the Oscars in like drag as yes. a man and then when her name is called as like Bartholomew or whatever, yeah. she gets up on stage and like she rips off her mustache. Her hair down. Yeah, and she's like, "Yes, it's me." <laughs> uh and then maybe she like has enough power to get Norma out of prison oh. and then they like do a project together. Yeah. And then Norma wins an Oscar and then she dies.
0: I love this. Sunset 2 Levard.
1: Yes. Sunset 2 Levard. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, sunset 3 Levard. Sunset. Hmm. <laughs> How do you make that Sun... Sunset Boulevard? Like set being three things? Oh, sure. Eh. What is that, Latin? I have no idea. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, what are you... Because I, I was thinking of this movie, too, in relationship to... I just saw the the trailer for um, Renee Zellweger's Judy. Judy. And... Renee Zellweger's only in her late 40s. Yeah. This is, I mean, it's like every actress, but like I think what happened to Renee is crazy because there was like no scandal, really. She it just was left for a while. Y- yeah, but she wasn't, it was like everyone hated her all of a sudden because she, she had he, squinty eyes. Because she did
0: plastic, did she do
1: plastic surgery? I'm sure, but everyone had, it's like I crazy. I know, it's so wild. People out. are just like, oh, I hate her eyes. Like I hate, and then and then when she like fixes them or changes them somehow, then they're like, oh, I hate her now that she tried to, it's, you're You're fucked. But I'm like, this is going to be a long Oscar season. I, I believe that, even if the movie doesn't do that well, I think Renee. will get nodded. Yeah, I think so for sure. And, I mean, with Judy Garland herself, and then also with like Renee Zellweger, it just got me thinking of the the roles that we put middle aged actresses yeah. in now, and if how it's like not really changed at all.
0: It definitely hasn't. We 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 feel especially with Zellweger mm-hmm. so entitled to women's bodies and there's no way they win they're always wrong
1: no it's and like it's so unfair yeah uh because you're you're other either fuckable or you're not yeah and that's the dichotomy and it's very fucked up the patriarchy guys patriarchy, are just two dudes talking about the patriarchy you know
0: what man patriarchy freaking stinks oh I'll say boy
1: it. yeah but what i hope you
0: think of glencliffe and the wife speaking of oh
1: this is yeah middle-aged uh,
0: actresses oscars
1: She's very good in The Wife. Yeah. I thought The Wife was a pretty stupid movie. Wow. Um, but I'm glad she... I mean, it's sort of sad that she didn't get the Oscar out after all that. But Olivia, now... Olivia Coleman, Olivia yeah. Colman, who, I mean... She's I think very good. The Favourite was an awesome movie. I think that's by mm-hmm. far the better movie than The Wife. But now, Glenn Close is going to play Norma Desmond, in the remake of Sunset Boulevard.
0: Yeah, she's been doing it on stage. Yeah, right? she's done,
1: It's and Andrew Lloyd has done yes. a musical version for years and she, I don't know that she originated the role, but she's played it for a long time. Yeah. But now they're doing a movie of that adaptation. Oh, how fun. And I think this will probably be what finally gets her the Oscar. I hope so. Except knowing Glenn's luck, some <laughs> little ingenue will probably um, swoop in, swoop in and, and, and take it from her mm-hmm. again. And I sort of hope, I mean, not for her sake, but like it would be sort of cool if Glenn Close does have like eleven nominations when she dies and like no Never wins, gets it. and then she'll just be like the most iconic diva of all time. Oh my god, yeah. Um, so we'll see. I think. I mean, it's a good role for her. I don't know that anyone needs to remake this movie, but
0: yeah, I don't. I don't know if we need another version of it. Maybe it's been a while maybe we just get like a a star is born version of it where everything about it is kind of updated for the modern era yeah maybe I wonder it's surprisingly good
1: I wonder if this version will be updated at mm-hmm. all uh yeah because this is definitely like as iconic um and Elemental Hollywood story as, as a, a star, star is born so sure. yeah uh these yeah these are probably like the two it's like the rise of an actress and the fall of an actress. Like you only need those two movies. And we kind of,
0: now that I'm thinking about it, we kind Once Upon a Time in Hollywood sort of flirts with these kinds of themes. And then at the very end says, no, it can be beautiful forever.
1: Yeah, because it's like, that that late 60s was as big of a change in Hollywood as like the silent era to the um, talkies. And I think now is like,
0: Another say. time that's as big of a sea change. Is it like, are we in the era of theatrical to streaming?
1: Yeah, I think in a few years, there's going to be way fewer
0: movie theaters. That Just, Yeah, right. it's really sad. It is nice, though. I, I am a, an AMC A-lister. Me too. Yeah, hell yeah. And it is kind of nice in a weird way. When we were planning to go see, my girlfriend and I were planning to go see a movie when we settled on Good Boys. Like, every screening of every movie at the Burbank AMC Theaters was kind of sold out on a... It was Labor Day, but it was like a Monday night. And it was kind of like, I think maybe this is how we keep people going to the theater. You you change the price model so it's similar to streaming.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen, I mean, 10 times as many yeah. movies as I would have seen if I was, you know, paying a la carte. I wonder, like, I guess... Uh, a chain as big as AMC can find a can way to make money on it. There was just news this week that Lemley, which was like, is yeah. it is like a big indie chain I in, love in LA. I love it too. They're um, for sale, uh, oh. and they're not doing well. And hopefully, whoever buys them will be able to find a way to make it profitable. But I'm not super optimistic. Um, and it would be really sad if, yeah, theater chains that aren't as deep pocketed as AMC. As AMC are not able cuz like I would if if Lemley offered a similar thing to A-list yeah. even if it was twice as expensive if i had to pay 40 or 50 dollars a month i would much rather give my money to Lemley than I to would AMC.
0: So take advantage of that because Lemley their their programming is just so much more diverse.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think i was listening to something where they said right now at the Lemley chain there are 26 different movies playing on any like any wow. any given week. Yeah. Uh and you know they're playing a, a few mainstream hits yeah. but most of them are uh you know foreign and indie movies that are exclusive to lemley the only place you can see them in in la Mm -hmm. and most most of the country so i hope if there's any rich people out there that want to buy a movie theater talk to mr lemley talk to carl lemley yeah Uh, all right before we go i do because i do it every week and we were having such a good conversation i didn't get to it but i want to read a little bit of the review from paul rowan's book Camp. If this is the first episode of High Camp you're listening to, this podcast is based on a duo of books, uh, film review guides written by an amateur film historian and professional librarian from Duluth, Minnesota. His <laughs> name was Paul Rowan, and he wrote uh, about a lot of movies. So let's read uh, the first paragraph Sunset Boulevard is one of the many movies that's both a bona fide film classic and at the same time a classic of camp. Modern viewers have problems with this wallow in Hollywood decadence and with the flamboyance of Gloria Swanson's performance in it. I presume that in 1950, few people noticed that her acting has more than a whiff of the drag queen about it. Still, this is undeniably appropriate to the nature of her role. She's cast as Norma Desmond, a has-been movie actress whose star ascended in the silent era and declined with the coming of sound. Now, while the post prosperity of 1950 LA bustles all about her, she huddles in the shadows of her gothic mansion and feeds off her own faded glamour. Her life is so swaddled in illusion and artifice, it's become a series of expressionistic gestures. Mm. We are therefore missing the point if we try to dismiss Swanson's acting by calling it unreal. That was uh, pretty on the mark, I thought. Yeah,
0: I think the second half of it was very on the mark. I don't... He took a big swing when he said modern viewers wouldn't be able to appreciate it or something like that.
1: Yeah, I wonder, because this was written in the 90s. Uh-huh. But this does seem like a movie that through from the time that it was released to now has always sort of been in high regard. It, like yeah. a lot of these movies, I think, have waxed and waned in popularity. Yeah, and the Sunset Boulevard
0: was... The the year it was released, a huge hit. I think. Yeah, it got, at the very least, critically respected.
1: Totally, it won three Oscars.
0: Yeah. Did she win for the Oscars? No.
1: This is a this is a good like act, best actress Oscar trivia. Is she and Betty Davis were nominated uh, the same year for yeah. uh, Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve, and wow. then Judy Holliday from Born Yesterday was like the ingenue at the time, and, and she geez. ended up winning. Yep. Um, which that's like always what happens with yep. the Oscars. But yeah, I I don't know. That is weird that he. And I, I can't speak to like a 90s audience if there was a time when... I mean, it. her performance is a little much.
0: Yeah, but, but it's by design. Yeah, totally. It's, it's in the fabric of the movie. But I do agree with his take of like, uh, both the more academic points he makes about artifice and glamour sort of becoming her substance, becoming her food, which I think is kind of a neat way to summarize a lot of camp aesthetics. And like... The the kind of dragginess of it all, for mm-hmm. sure. It, 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 the performative of that sort of art form, definitely, there's a huge link to this.
1: I mean, I think drag was around in 1950 sure to some was. extent, for sure, but uh, there are several generations of drag queens that, even if they don't know it, have uh, been influenced by Norma Desmond, like if they this, weren't influenced
0: yeah. by her, they were influenced by someone who was influenced by her, yeah, yeah, for sure,
1: yeah, uh, that. I mean, you could, yeah, you could trace that drag aesthetic back to the silent movie style of acting. Ooh, One million percent. And she, I mean, there weren't, I can't think of another, I mean, maybe there is another example of like a silent movie actress who was given as big a chance for a comeback yeah. or was given a role like this. Yeah. Because, I mean, she was only like five or six years older than Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, that next generation mm-hmm. of actresses. But it was like a totally di- a totally different world, just that, small difference in age. Yeah.
0: And she she do, do you think do you give her credit for after this movie kind of not taking the other sort of type if she got typecast as this role?
1: Absolutely. I yeah. mean, well, I don't know because I, I, if this was her choice to do this and she had integrity and didn't want to cuz a lot of these actresses were doing anything that came their way. Yeah. And did a lot of crap, but and I I I mean, this is the character of Norman Desmond, but I imagine that Gloria Swanson was financially stable. She wasn't one of these yeah, people, I'm sure. so she had a lot of money. She didn't need to work, and so yeah, I do give her credit because I imagine that that would have sort of diluted her her esteem um, her if image she was. Brand, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's also too bad that she just wasn't offered a, a bunch of great parts after. Bunch this. of
0: interesting different parts yeah. for sure. Uh,
1: Craig, this was. A great conversation. Absolutely, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for yeah, me. absolutely. Um, before we go, yeah. I ask all my guests yeah. if we were to write a third volume of High Camp, uh, what is a movie that you would nominate to be in the book?
0: Yeah, I have. This is kind of. I think about this specific subject a lot. I love kind of seeing what sort of modern, new, contemporary movie could be called a camp classic. Classic. I feel like they're a little few and far between these days. And the one that came to mind that I think is influenced by this movie directly is a little movie called Troll Two. Oh. Have
1: you seen Troll Two? I've heard a lot about it. It's one of these movies that I that I keep wanting yeah. to see and I don't I've never seen it.
0: It is uh it is a horror film, I wanna say nineteen ninety ish, maybe like the the earliest nineteen ninety year. Nineteen ninety <laughs> is a way to phrase that. Just it's, like
1: Sunset Boulevard was the earliest nineteen fifty year. Right. Yeah.
0: That's official. Um, it has nothing to do with the first Troll, which is kind of a higher budget horror movie. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in it. This, was, this started as like an Italian cheapo horror movie called Goblin, until it was bought and distributed in America as Troll 2 to try and get more money. It is, the, the uh, incompetence of this movie is truly remarkable. It is one of the funniest, wildest experiences you will ever, if you're into like The Room or yeah. anything like that, this movie like laps it, in my opinion. Okay, yeah,
1: because I remember, I mean, I I saw The Room years after it probably first came out, but every like review I read of The Room would reference Troll 2. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, this is the next Troll 2.
0: For sure. It's so freaking funny. And how it relates maybe specifically to like being put in one of these types of books, uh, there is a main villain who, uh, she, if I were to guess, is played by whatever small town they shot in, sort of like theater girl. If okay, that makes sense.
1: sort of like the Leah Michelle of her town, yeah, something
0: yeah. like that. She plays this very vampy, very big, huge, flamboyant kind of like evil witch character. And there is a lot of eye work in her performance. And there is a lot of, like, strong, angular uh, uh, arm work. A lot of stuff that feels very Norma Desmond to me. And there's also, there's these, part one of the subplots, there's these four doofy dudes who follow this family on this road trip because one of them is really into the daughter of the family. Okay. And so they just follow her, and they're all hanging out in this RV wearing, like, very... Kind of revealing eighties short shorts, hanging out on a bed together, talking about the girls they want to get, but like, kind of obviously maybe a little more into each other, and it's totally not anything they intended, and it's totally there, and it's just, ugh, this movie's such a fun trip.
1: That's great. I mean, unintended gay subtext
0: is my favorite kind of subtext. Absolutely.
1: So this is all takes place in Italy?
0: No, it takes place in a small town in America called Nilbog. Okay, Boo shot. In Italy? Uh, That's a good question. I know the filmmaker was Italian. It was Italian. He didn't speak a lot of English. But the actors are speaking. They're all English. English. They're all American. They're all trying their best. Weird. Ooh, it's such a good movie. There's
1: like a big history, which I wasn't even really aware of, like just by reading these books, of like low budget movies uh, that are somewhat financed in Italy, maybe shot there, but with English speaking actors. A lot
0: of the Italian exploitation cinema was they would hire international casts just to really try and get as broad of a distribution market as possible. So that it'd have like the B movie star from Italy, the B movie star from America, from Mexico, and they would all speak their native languages in the scene and then just badly dub it all in English.
1: That's interesting. Cause I, yeah, I know like the spaghetti Westerns and stuff are yeah. a famous example, but, uh, yeah, I wonder what happened. Like that doesn't there doesn't
0: seem to be that italian b-movie international industry anymore i kind of miss it now it feels like maybe we make b-movies to sell another country like oh yeah like maybe the argument is that iron man is a b-movie that we are marketing to china or something on the like transformers because
1: now those yeah those big international movies you do have i mean to some extent it's really great because you have a more diverse cast but you're like, oh, this is definitely for this audience. This mm-hmm. is for this audience. So it's it's very
0: strange. Yes. The Did you see The Meg? Yeah. I was into The Meg. Uh, it was
1: disappointing. Yeah. I It wasn't as crazy as I thought it was going to be.
0: I wanted it to be better, too. But it did have a very appealingly global cast.
1: For sure. And they had this poor uh, native Chinese-speaking actress yes. who was doing, I mean, the bad American comic dialogue. It was like a combination yeah. of, she, it was trying to be like screwball but the it, the writing was bad, and she didn't have a good enough grasp on English to really yeah. sell it, and it was it was rough. It was a perfect storm. Yeah, it was it's like the make. Yep, a perfect shark mm-hmm. and a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that does it for this episode of High Camp. Craig Smith, is there anything you would like to plug?
0: Certainly. Um, you can listen to my podcast Dope Town Three Thousand wherever you get your podcasts. It's a improv comedy freestyle hip hop cross hybrid. We have guests on who tell stories. We turn them into mini hip-hop musicals. Uh, give it a listen. When does this episode come out?
1: This will come out um, uh, around in a month, like October, the beginning of okay. October.
0: gotcha. Um, okay, I'll give a less... I'll give a less specific plug of the movie screening show I host if you live in Los Angeles the fourth Saturday of every month at the UCB Inner Sanctum I host a show called the A to C Film Festival where we screen a classic film inspired by a brand new movie
1: Uh, so you have yeah uh, you've just done one so far. So would you have like your September and your October? Yes, yeah,
0: September, uh, which I guess when this is released will have already September happened. Already it happened. is in fact uh, Chicago inspired by Judy. Oh, cool! Which we talked about earlier.
1: Well, maybe I'll try to push up this episode so we can <laughs> go. before. But that, I definitely want to uh, come to that. That sounds yeah, awesome because sure. I yeah I missed the first one. Um, but you'll be doing that the fourth. What was it the fourth? Fourth Saturday. Fourth Saturday. Seven Saturday, p.m.
0: Okay, cool. Used to be interesting.
1: What a great plug. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much
0: for having me. This was a true delight.
1: Cool, cool. Um, if you like this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, write a nice review, and rate it five stars. Tell your friends, subscribe, download. You can follow us on social media at High Camp Pod, both Twitter and Instagram. Also follow me at Ruckerbry on Twitter and Instagram. Listen to my other podcast, Goop Yourself. It comes out every Friday, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.